Welcome to the Global Medical Device Podcast, where today's brightest minds in the medical device industry go to get their most useful and actionable insider knowledge, direct from some of the world's leading medical device experts and companies. Standards. Maybe you don't think that standards apply to you, but I assure you, if you are developing a medical device, standards are definitely something that you need to be aware of. Standards like IEC 60601, IEC 62304, IEC 62366, ISO 14971. I could keep going on and on and on. There are a lot of standards, and you need to know why this is important to your medical device product development efforts. If you wait until the time that you're putting together that submission and you haven't addressed your standards and things that might apply to your product, chances are it's too late. Well, it's not too late. It's just going to mean a longer time to market. It's going to mean a more difficult and time-consuming regulatory review process. So understand what standards apply and how to incorporate those as part of your design and development process towards the beginning rather than the middle end. And so today on on this episode of the Global Medical Device Podcast, I've got Leo Eisner from Eisner Safety Consultants. He is a guy that knows a lot about standards and he's built a database to help you navigate through this process. So listen in, kick back, relax on this episode of the Global Medical Device Podcast. Hello, this is John Spear, the founder and VP of Quality and Regulatory at Greenlight.guru, and welcome to another exciting episode of the Global Medical Device Podcast. We have a special guest today, Leo Eisner from Eisner Safety Consultants is joining us. And and let me tell you a little bit about, about this guy, Leo. Leo has over 30 years of experience in product safety and is a leading expert and author when it comes to medical device safety. Leo has worked for a lot of these safety firms that you've heard of, places like uh, UL, Underwriters Laboratory, TUV Product Services. Leo has also been a notified body auditor for under the MDD for both you know, TUV and ASI. So he's got a lot of experience, folks. He knows quality systems. He knows how to audit you. He knows how to test your product. But let's talk a little bit more about uh, the specifics about Leo's background. Leo's been very focused when it comes to electrical safety testing, specifically standards like IEC 60601-1 series. Leo has a, a wonderful company, Eisner Safety Consultants. Let me spell that for you. E-I-S-N-E-R. Eisner Safety Consultants specializes in helping medical device companies navigate product safety submission processes regulatory submissions and quality system requirements. So I'm going to tell you here in a moment, when I think about IEC 60601, which if if you have an electrical medical device, you need to think about that standard. The first name that always comes to mind is Eisner Safety Consultants. Leo has recently also released the Standards Reconnaissance Database, which helps medical device manufacturers with tracking electrical standards, and also looking at what drafts are in the future so medical device companies can focus on their expertise of designing their medical devices and leverage Leo's expertise on standards. Again, you can find more about Eisner Safety Consultants. Just visit Eisner Safety, E-I-S-N-E-R-S-A-F-E-T-Y.com, and you can learn more about the standards reconnaissance database, EisnerSafety.net. All right, Leo, welcome to the Global Medical Device Podcast. 
Well, thanks, John, and thank you for that great introduction. You're welcome. So I want to talk a little bit. I want to share a short story uh, about a time in my past. It involves standards, so that's good news. And then you can talk a little bit more, share a little bit more about your expertise on why standards are important and, and then share, of course, all this knowledge and expertise and information that you've been gathering in this reconnaissance database. I mean, I had a chance to peek at that and I was blown away by the homework that you've been doing that's going to help a lot of medical device companies navigate this, this process of standards. Okay? Sounds good. All right, so I'm going to go back in time for me a few years ago, and, and it was the first time that I was working on an electrical medical device. And I had heard all this chatter and talk. I think, I think it was probably second edition. It might have been first edition. I think we're on fourth edition now, right? We're on third. Third, okay. So, see, I'm, I'm already behind or ahead or whatever. But anyways, the first time I was working on an electrical medical device, and I didn't know that much about 60601. And we had to you know, obviously go through all of the testing that was involved with this product because of his electrical device. And I was just blown away by the level of sophistication and details and requirements. And for the first time in my career going through that project, I really felt like I was uninformed, uneducated, and just had zero knowledge on that topic. And I think that was probably one of the first times that I crossed your path. So talk a little bit about, about your expertise when it comes to standards. I mean, I'm sure you can speak quite a bit about 60601, but talk about some of the other areas of expertise that you have on standards. So... I started in standards right out of college when I went started at UL. I didn't work on medical devices back then, but I worked on anything else under the sun you can think of from home use equipment, microwaves, computer equipment, and lots of other things. So I got a lot of really broad background in component information and end use products and sort of how the whole process happens. And then I got into medical, which I'm thrilled because I love working on medical devices. They're so much more fun than boring computer equipment, I guess. That's at <laughs> least my perspective. And I got really intrigued because 601 is a very, very extensive standard. There's a lot of detail in it. And I was lucky enough to be able to get involved in the standards development process. About eight or 10 years ago, a couple companies came to me and asked me to help write a standard for them, which I never have done before. And I was very fortunate. I, a secretariat that I work with in the group that I'm in helped me learn about the process. And I've learned a lot in those eight or 10 years. And now I'm in, I couldn't even tell you how many committees I'm in. There's so many. <laughs> I'm in charge. I'm the convener of 80601-2-58, which is lens removal and retractomy equipment. Not the most glamorous topic. But it, it's, uh, you have to learn somehow, and I learned a lot that way. Sure. So since then, I've gotten involved in home use equipment because I think that's an exploding market, and I want to help people there, and a lot more into the 601 world as well. And I'm also involved in the technical interpretations group for 601. So if people get stuck that there's a problem with the standard, which there's lots of them, because it's a huge standard, so there's a lot of issues. The interpretation document's a great document to get you out of the corner, potentially, too. Right, and, and I'm guessing in addition to that interpretation document, picking up the phone or shooting you an email and getting you to help navigate uh, additionally through that process is also something that the Eisner Safety Consultants does quite a bit. Oh, yeah, definitely. We get 
questions from all over the world on so many different things that blow your mind. Yeah. So, so I think from my, I shared my short story about my first exposure to IEC 60601. And of course, that's just one of many standards. You know, we've got all kinds of standards organizations out there, IEC, ISO, ANSI, you know, of course, there are dozens of others, but that whole process of understanding what a standard is. So, you know, in I guess a few sentences, can you describe why I should care as a medical device company, why I should care about a standard? Why does that matter? Well, probably the most important reason would be because of your regulatory submissions and also your design process. So with the regulatory submissions, most regulators really encourage, they don't always mandate, but they say it's voluntary. But behind those words voluntary are, if you don't use it, you're going to make your life a lot harder. You need them to support your submissions like a 510K or PMA or whatever from FDA or when you submit to notified body in Europe or for Canada, for Health Canada or almost any country you go to, they're going to want to see some standards based on whatever your product is. Some specify the specific standards and others say use whatever you want if it's not in a category that's not as well controlled. So using a standard is going to make your life easier because you have a base that's common that everyone knows. If you don't use the standard and you come up with something else, you got a much higher burden to show the regulator how you meet those requirements. Right. That makes total sense. I mean, if I come up with John's method, it may be completely valid as a method, but now I have to spend all my time, effort, and energy explaining to that FDA reviewer why John's method is better than IEC 60601. Yeah, exactly. Right. You've, you've been doing a lot of hard work on this, and, and there are others like you as well who, who spend a lot of time developing these standards and these sort of these methods and approaches so that it can be consistent and repeatable from device to device, from company to company. Yep, sounds right. All right, so here's the other thing that's, that can be overwhelming. Where do I go to determine what standards apply to my product? Well, if you have a medical electrical piece of equipment, got a great resource. It's my website, eisnersafety.net, which has my standards reconnaissance database, which I've developed to help specifically medical device companies, because that's what I work with. That's my expertise, that they can look up the standard, they can find out the information, what's the current version, what was the previous one, what's the changes to that, and also what's coming up. So if there's a draft in existence, it's in the database as well. Also, I'm doing a once-a-year report. I have two parts of the database. One is the medical electrical equipment and system side, which is the broader group. And then the more specific subsection is home use equipment, which there's a couple standards and then a lot of the same standards apply if they're specifically for home use, which is in the scope usually. And then there's also a new committee, brand new committee. It's about a year old, I think. It's called the Active Assisted Living System Committee. And a system committee is a totally different concept. It's not specific to a specific type of product like a medical device. It's broader. It's a whole system. So assisted living means basically someone in a house, in a home of some dwelling of some sort that needs some medical assistance. It may be 
a very minor medical device that might not even be categorized as a medical device to something like a ventilator. So in the home use environment, it's so much different than in a clinical setting. Right. It's not as controlled. The environment's going to change a lot. You might live in a house that has no air conditioning. Where in a hospital, you have a very set environment that's very well regulated, and you have backup generators and other power-related things that are really important, where in a home, you don't have that. The medical device companies really have to design devices for home in a very different concept than for a clinical setting. Right, right. So it's a very interesting committee. They're still trying to find their legs, I think, to figure sure. out exactly what they're doing. Sure, and, and I want to dive into that a little bit here in a moment, but you know, let me summarize if you're developing an electrical medical device, go check out Eisner Safety Consultants Standards Reconnaissance Database, EisnerSafety.net, and certainly get a hold of Leo. Because trust me, folks, if you're developing a medical device, you want to focus on on what's important. You're trying to advance your technology, and Leo is the expert when it comes to what's happening on the standards world, especially when on the electrical side of things. So if you have questions. You need to know what you need to do from a design and development standpoint. It is very, very important early on in your design and development process to know what standards you should be aware of and potentially applying to your product. So, so do, do yourself a huge, huge favor. I mean, I can tell you horror stories. I'm sure Leo's got a list of horror stories as well. But nothing is worse than getting to the point where you're thinking, this is the last test that I have to do to get my product to market, only to realize that, that you failed ESD or you, you're not uh, compliant with the EMC requirements or, or what have you. And it's a very simple change that you should have made much earlier on during the design and development process. All right. So I'll get off my soapbox now and we'll get back, back to the program at hand. All right. So, so Leah, this, this area of home use is, I, I want to talk a little bit about that because, I mean, obviously I've got family members who are aging and, and, you know, grandmother who's in an assisted living facility and, you know, by and large, your health is pretty good, but, but I could, you know, we can see this emergence happening of, of a lot of smart quote, smart technologies and apps on phones and wearable devices. And then, you know, people want to be maintain a, some standard of living that in their home environment. And if they can give, if we can provide them as a med device community, portable electrical medical devices, that's going to make the standard of living and the quality of living even better for, for people who may need some medical assistance. So I can see where there's a lot of things that are just going to interfere, play with, or, or interact with, with these devices that have Wi-Fi and Bluetooth and all these other things. So you know, let's talk a little bit more about that space. So FDA's been considering this a lot lately because they have a whole bunch of guidances that have come out in the last couple of years. There's the home use guidance, which calls out a ton of standards, and it's changed. I think they've updated it two times already since it went final. And then there's the wearable guidance, not wearable, um, what is it? Mobile medical yeah. applications guidance. Yeah. Yeah. And there's also, there's a couple other guidances, and I can't think of them off the top of my head. But, right, that's fine. But there's a lot of guidances, and in those guidances, they call out, a fair amount of uh, standards. Each guidance is a little different. The home use guidance is a very detailed document. It calls out the usability standard, 62366, I believe. Yep. I think it calls out the software uh, lifecycle guidance. 
but yeah. I mean standard, right. which would be 62304. Risk management, which you're an expert in, is ISO 14971. And FDA is getting much more involved in that. And also usability, they're getting much more interested in. The home use guidance is sort of leaps and bounds ahead of some of the other more clinical standards or guidances in the sense that they've really thought, how is it all interacting together and making sure the product really can sustain the abuse that's in the home environment. You have someone that puts a Coke can on their device and it spills. You have to deal with that. Yeah. Uh, you also have to deal with communicating that data back to the doctor or the hospital. So like you talked about Wi-Fi and cell service, that's all considered to some extent. And also FDA has been looking at the signals uh, intermixing and how those affect your product and other products. Yeah, very important. I mean, I was a part of a team developing a, an electrical device that, well, we were considering the home environment for an application or for as part of our indications for use. And basically, long story short, it became very clear that if we were going to go to into the home environment, that the design, the robustness, the level of testing that we were going to have to put this product through was much more significant than if we stayed in a controlled or semi-controlled environment as the hospital or a long-term care facility. And that's important for a development team to realize your indications for use, your intended use, and I, Leah, we're not going to we're not going to split hairs and go uh, argue or or discuss the pr the difference between indications for use and intended use for the sake of this conversation. We'll just kind of bundle <laughs> those things together. But but your indications for use are directly impacted by the markets that you plan to use, where you plan your product to be used, and depending on those markets where you plan for your product to be used, could totally dictate the standards that apply, and certainly the type of testing that's required. So it's very, very important. If you want to make a home use device, the rules are going to be different than if it's going to be used in a hospital. Very much so. And I was yesterday actually looking at a list of standards for a client for, and I did a direct comparison between the clinical setting and the home use setting. And I'd say there's more than double the amount of standards involved in that project for home use versus just clinical setting. So it's significant. One thing I didn't mention very clearly is the EMC requirements. FDA is basically insisting to use the fourth edition of the EMC standard versus what most people are using is third edition currently. And the difference is basically some most products are gonna have to be redesigned to meet the fourth edition because there's such significant difference in the test values, right, which is huge. I mean, that that's stunning to be thrown that in the middle of a project. You need to know that up front. Like you said, getting early in the development cycle, this information is critical because it can throw your whole project off timeline-wise. Yeah, another thing that that's shifted that sometimes companies I talk to even today are are still not aware of is is you know that regulatory piece for sure and let's let's go down this scenario that a company is developing a class 2 device and they're going to have to put together a 510k submission and get clearance from the, the FDA i can remember once upon a time not that long ago where there were certain cases where you did not have to have the actual testing completed 
prior to your 510k submission. The the old adage was you can provide a an I promise statement to the FDA that says I promise to do my IEC 60601 testing and, and what have you. And that was, you know, a strategy that was employed by a lot of companies because they're like, oh, I can gain some time because that IEC testing is not a trivial activity. It does take some time to, to go through all the, the paces of going through that particular standard. So there used to be this, this idea, you could do this I promise statement. And that day is gone. I think it's important for companies to realize when you submit your 510K, you need to have the objective evidence, the proof that you have tested your product to IEC 60601. That's very, very important for companies to realize. There's no more, I promise. Yeah, that's definitely true. And one thing that we haven't talked about that's important also is on the front end, before you go into the test lab, the work you have to do up front. Because if you just throw it into the lab and don't prep, the likelihood of passing is pretty slim, especially with the third edition of 60601-1, the general medical electrical equipment standard, is that there's this requirement that from second edition to third edition was a huge change, a paradigm shift, is risk management file, which is a requirement of basically saying, you've already done all your risk management under ISO 14971, now add one month of one person's time to fill out a whole bunch of paperwork that happens to be useless, dare I say it, (laughs) is total worthless. It adds no value to the product or the design process. Basically saying, here are the 100 or 125 requirements saying, risk management file needs to be reviewed for compliance with this requirement or this requirement. And it's a lot of work. It's a lot of paper. And it's usually at least... I think we charge about 100 hours for that or yeah. more, depending on the product and the type. Yeah. It can be or more. And it's 30 days of one person's time when they are up to speed on it in a company, typically, if not more. Yeah. And that's just one piece of the puzzle. But that's one of the bigger pieces of chunks. You need to draft a test plan and know what you're getting tested Before you do that, though, you have to classify your product under the standard. So you know, is it a BF or a B or CF type applied part? Are there applied parts? What's your power source? Is there ingress protection requirements? Which means basically if fluid, if you're in an environment that it's really wet or you're in an OR, you're going to have some type of ingress protection requirements. If you're at home, the home use standard has some requirements. They're not too stringent. The emergency medical services standard, which is 1-12-60601-1-12, is more stringent because that's even more, that's a worse environment. You're outside in the middle of a blizzard. You still have to use the equipment. Right. Hopefully for the poor person on the road on the side. They want it to work, obviously. Uh, Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) And there's several other classification issues you want to do up front because that's going to affect your test program. Sure. I mean, sometimes it can feel as a medical device product developer that that all these standards are just in my way of making progress. But but I think you just said something, you know, I'll touch on it. I think you just said something that, that's very key that we can all imagine and resonate with a little bit. You know, imagine you're stranded on the side of the road and suddenly you need a medical device. And, and that EMT is going to use this medical device to save your life. Or you have a loved one that, that's in the home that relies on a medical device to, 
to live. <laughs> I mean, these standards now become pretty important as a consumer, as somebody who might be the recipient of this medical device. Damn it, I want to know that 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 product has been through the rigors of IEC 60601. I always look for on the back of the device to make sure it's got the little sticker, you know. So it's very important to make sure that that product is going to work when when I need it. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, the standards are rigorous, but it's for good reason. And standards are developed in a consensus environment where there are multiple parties involved. Typically, there's manufacturers, there's regulators sometimes, especially for the quality system standard. There's the test houses are involved, and there's sometimes there's even consumers involved, but that's pretty rare because one of the problems with the standards development process is it's voluntary, and everyone that goes in pays their own expenses. So me going to Kobe and to Tokyo in November... Right. I funded myself to go there because I wanted to be involved, but also it's helping my clients, which is important to my business. So sure. I needed to take that step. Sure. So, Leo, uh, we're, we're getting ready to wrap up our conversation today. So is there one tip that you can recommend to the medical device community when it comes to standards that we haven't touched on today? I know I just put you on the spot. <laughs> of course part of the fun. Well, I think one thing is you've sort of touched on a little bit is early in the development process, as early as possible, you need to know what your product is well enough to determine what standards apply. So you can put that in your project plan and schedule out how much testing it's going to take, how much prep it's going to take, and really know what are the standards that apply. Look at the guidances, look at the scope of the standard because if you're out of scope of the standard, it gets hard to deal with. But FDA puts you in that spot occasionally yep. where they say you have to meet 60601, but the product's not in the scope of the standard. You need to now figure out how to navigate that. Right. Which That's, is a big challenge for yeah. clients. Yeah. Well, Leo, I appreciate you being the guest on today's episode of the Global Medical Device Podcast. Hey, Leo today rattled off. Uh, it sounded like an alphabet soup at times. ISO, IEC, ANSI, ASTM, there are a lot of different standards organizations. And he, he routed off even more numbers, 60601, 62366, 62304, 14971, all kinds of numbers. It sounds overwhelming. It can be. That's why you need a guy like Leo and Eisner Safety Consultants on your team. So be sure to check him out, EisnerSafety.com, E-I-S-N-E-R-S-A-F-E-T-Y. You know, one of the things that Leo hit on was risk management. You know, if you're going to be dealing with electrical medical devices in any way, shape, or form, it is very clear that ISO 14971 is definitely something that you need to deal with. And hey, what better way to do so than to use the only software package known to man that actually complies with ISO 14971 and fully integrates with your design control activities. Yep, that's right, folks. Check out greenlight.guru. Request the demo. Learn more about our software package. Until next time, this has been John Spear, the founder and VP of Quality and Regulatory on this episode of the Global Medical Device Podcast.